0: Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit, but what is trauma really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life, but my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma, to highlight its impacts, and most importantly, to help those who've lived through it to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents, and adults, trying to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot, and now you will too. But first, a trigger warning. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma and suicide. If you don't think you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath and come back another day. I'll be here. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and elders on all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and am committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. I pay my deep respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal children, young people, families, and staff who I provide services to now and in the future. I embrace and commit to the spirit of work and self determination, empowerment, and reconciliation.
1: The Trauma Tower started as a little passion project to entertain me during lockdown, but it's turned into something so much more than I ever could have imagined. I'm the host, the producer, the admin, marketing, content developer, social media manager and designer. I could sell the Trauma Towers, but that would mean that the anonymity of the people I interview wouldn't be as protected as it is now. See, it's only me who knows. And I swore to protect the people who share their stories with you. But that means that I don't get to take in any of the network's funds either. So to keep the trauma Tales running, I've launched a Patreon account for those of you who want more than just the regular seasons. Patreons will be entitled to discounted merch, extra content and heaps more like Q&As with me. So to help me keep this podcast going, jump on the link in the show notes and make a one-time contribution or a monthly subscription so I can keep sharing these stories with you and to protect those who honour us with their tales. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Trauma Tales. Today I'm joined by Alex. Hi, Alex. How are you?
2: Not bad, Paul. How are you?
1: <laughs> really good. So thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. And let's just jump straight in. How about you tell me a little bit about a time or a series of um, time where you experienced trauma?
2: sound so first of all i just want to say thank you for having me like this is the first time of uh being on the receiving end of it so you know if i start stuttering um <laughs> i'm a little bit nervous
1: it's a bit different of um, what we smoke to isn't
2: it yeah it's a bit different it's a bit weird you know what i mean <laughs> it's a factory setting go back to the way it was um all right so i kind of came up with with three all right <laughs> three kind of stuck to to my mind because they kind of have um, specific points in, in growing up through life. All right. So the first one, I only was told this, and it makes a lot of sense when you go into a little bit of like psychology and early childhood trauma and all that type of nonsense. But I was told this um, shortly after moving to New Zealand, right? Cause I'm obviously from Manchester, UK. So move to the other side of the world. Uh, take that as you will. Um, and I was on the phone with my dad because I had enough, right? I wanted to stop playing this game. And um, he told me a story of when I, was, when I was just months old, like him and my man broke up at, at three months old. And throughout my childhood, I knew there was issues. It took 19 years for them to be able to be in the same room as each other without throwing something, screaming the house down or you name it, right? And um, he told me a story of one day, he had me on the couch watching telly had me on his chest. I was like a a baby, right? A rape baby. Just months old. I don't probably, we'll say six months old to be argument sick. And he OD'd. And I was on his chest and he tried to commit suicide. And that kind of sparked, again, the whole problem of I was in and out of court as a kid, not because of my own doing, but because of custody over me with me, mom and me, dad um, and the first one first kind of event is is that one right like I had no idea about it um, I always had I always thought I thought different things as a kid in a sense of oh okay we're driving 80 miles an hour if I take my seatbelt off and open the door and jumped out mm. right mm. That, that would that would mean I wouldn't be here anymore And I would understand that and I would compute it and I'd be like, okay. And would still have the feeling of, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'll go do it. But then I'll, and then I'll have a conversation in my own head of like, but that would mean I'm no longer here. And then I would respond to myself of, well, yeah. And it was, it was weird because it was rather unemotional. Right. And that would kind of continue on. And this is before I ever knew anything about like mental health or any of that nonsense. Like it was, you no, know, sometimes I was just like thinking. I'd just be like, Oh, I'm a thinker, I like I think about things and things get a little bit deep sometimes, but usually I'm sat on the windowsill on like a two story and I'm like, Oh, maybe, you know, just open the window and just pop out head first. You know what I mean? And you know, you're you're the psych. You can probably tell me the the science behind whether that's related or not. But um you know, the first event was before I even remember. Um, and that was, that was with me, dad.
1: So y- you were only a tiny baby. How, how did you find out about him? Or
2: so I wanted to thank me, dad, right? Because I always knew there was obviously problems with him and my mom. Um, and I don't want to know their story. That's, that's their story. I don't, I don't care, you know? And I was like, I wanted to thank him for trying to stay in my life and successfully staying in my life before I was like, you know what, I'm like, I'm done, Dad. Like, I thank you for everything that you've done to me. This is it, kind of done. And he had a really, he just, that was literally the only story he's never told me. And he turns around and tells me the story and was like, he went back to his mom, right? And he saw the pain in her eyes, of what he tried to do and he turned around on the phone and was like don't do that to your mother like i did that to my mother and seeing that in her eyes was the worst thing he has ever felt and he was like don't do that to your mother
1: okay so you i'm just piecing it together so that's okay you were feeling suicidal yeah 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 and you talked to your dad about it. How old were you when you talked to your dad about its
2: it? it was two years ago.
1: Oh, so this is only pretty fresh. And then in that phone call when you were talking to him about your own suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. he told you the story about when he OD'd and the impact that it had.
2: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he told me about when he brought me home, put me on my put me on his chest and OD'd I,
1: yeah. So did you don't know any of the details about what happened after
2: all i know is i was in and out of the car um me mom
1: no like immediately she, after like he, he immediately wrote,
2: after no he's still here no he's, he's still here yeah but i didn't i don't know
1: do you know what he did on no are you curious So you you mentioned about the impacts of of trauma on kids
0: Mm. and
1: those thoughts of, like, having... So you also said you were having suicidal thoughts as a child. Mm. And sort of... So it's like there's, like, suicidal ideation, which is where you're just kind of thinking about it. Mm. And then it kind of moves into planning it and which... You know, even in planning, there's, like, different parts of that because then there's, like, the the commitment to it and then often the acquiring of anything necessary to sort of do it um, before there's, you know, actually attempting Sounds, yeah. to. It's not abnormal to, for example, stand on a tall building and go, fuck, if I fell, I would be. Like to have those almost, um, almost logistic, um, mm-hmm. like this would be the scenario play out, isn't necessarily what we would consider suicidal ideation. It would be more, I suppose, if you were like a, a, a wish I would just fall off
0: mm-hmm.
1: the building, um, or I wish I would just not be here. That. It's, it can be much more subtle than that. So, when you, so you're so you talking about that, that argument in your head around, if I did this, this would be the outcome. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of in between. It's sort of, you know, not really saying if the door fell open and I fell out, I'd be dead. It's like if I opened the door and threw myself out, I would be dead,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is kind of a bit of both.
2: I know um, there was quite a few, they're quite sporadic as a kid, like as a young kid, um, of like, yeah, okay, I want to do this. But there was never um, the link between the two dots. Uh-huh. It was only when I got older into like mid-teen, late-teen, is when it was like, right, this is how I'm going to do it at this time, in this way, for this reason. Like, actually going for it and planning type stuff it as a child like you probably don't comprehend it right Mm. i was like oh okay i want to go do this so then everything is then black and it's all done but i it was like two dots with no line together yeah i see it looking back now anyway
1: yeah yeah because you're a kid but
2: because i was a kid yeah exactly
1: but that that suicidal process started for you really up really little
2: yeah potentially like you know as we said when we had the the previous conversation of now now i look at all this as um like a blessing mm-hmm. right because then you get to see the the world and life in a different light you get to see it through multiple different lenses in, in one lifetime and that's really unique and the way I see it is like, okay, cool. Like naturally um, my kind of brain frequency will be quite low. Right. That will just be, like we said before, I was like, I'll just kind of chill at a lower frequency. And just, that's kind of my average, so to speak. Quote, yeah. quote. I'm like, cool. That's, that's the hand I'm dealt. All right. What am I going to do? Like we're playing our last hand, right. We're all in. Right. So what am I going to do? Am I going to fold? Well, No, because I mean it's over I'm done I better get pretty fucking skillful at playing this hand you know
0: this episode of the trauma tales is brought to you by cognitive behavioral education providing training and supervision for people working with people who experience trauma if you work with people you know how challenging it can be sometimes and how you can end up having the wrong end of someone's day or having to deal with their trauma CBE's training and supervision services can upskill and support you and your team to manage, de-escalate and thrive in these situations. For more information, go to www.cbe.net.au.
1: So what I'm hearing is that you've been on this suicidal rollercoaster for most of your life.
2: I me, mean, like, as if we go heart to heart, like, as long as I can remember, like, in whatever capacity, I'm not saying where I've literally got a knife to my throat for 25 years, but, like, in some sort of capacity, there has been something along the way, and, you know, whether it is just a cloud, and I'll be in this, we can call it a depressive state, or it's legitimately taking the seatbelt off and rearing towards the middle lane to hit the ball hard. You know what I mean? Like, where if we draw that as a spectrum of two ends, Mm. yeah, like, as as far as I can remember. But, again, you know, that might sound pretty harsh to a lot of people, but what are you going to do? Are you going to sit and cry about spilt milk? Or are you going to do something about it and, you know, that's made two bucks? That means that now I can like see in someone's eyes and actually read what's behind them rather than, you know, having this small talk, wishy-washy relationships with people. I'm like, no, no, no. I know how this person feels. Mm They mind what they're thinking. I know how they're feeling. Cool. Now how can we help them? You know, and it's it's only ever helped my coaching. It's put me in some, some bad spots, granted, but it's only ever helped my coaching. I can then sit in those, those clouded, times and those areas right and just kind of spin some words and put some ink on a paper and write a sentence a line a poem or whatever and people are like holy shit that hits different i'm like man that just comes from being depressed as
1: fuck so not not to be dismissive but yes it it does it comes from your experience of of having so have you been diagnosed with a mental condition
2: like um. I've um, sought help, I think, four times. Um, maybe it's three. I'm not really too sure. I think one was, like, counselling um, in multiple different areas, right, in multiple different ways, whether it's a uh, fucking email, whether I – I actually signed up to online one time and then quit it straight away and couldn't couldn't hack it, didn't even say hello to the to the bloke. Um, but apart from that time, all the other times that I – held out a hand dead silence mm. i'm like okay cool like and this this is where i maybe get a bit controversial and and start getting a little bit effing and jeffing is like people say i'll oh, go reach out and that's all what you gotta do and you know this there's, there's infrastructure out there and I'm, I'm, there is and there's some fucking angels working in this industry but don't sit there and say that's That's the only way to do it, you know. I mean, that's why I, I do what I do. You know, the whole reason of my entire job, split into four parts, is bridging the gap between mental and physical health. Mm. You know, because there's 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 more ways than just going the GP. Like you know, I saw my dad go to the GP, or a therapist or a counselor, whatever. But he went to the GP, got put on meds, and he was literally like a fucking zombie. And I'm like, is this the only way? Just like numb yourself and coast through life i was like you're not you're you're this charismatic individual and now you're a fucking zombie i was like that's it's not who you are mate like you shouldn't be doing this
1: so you don't have any treatment
2: no the treatment that um i see myself as having is my job i love my job and so, it's kind of split into. Tell
1: us what you hey,
2: Say that again. Tell me what you oh, do. Um, so um, splitting of four things, right? Mm-hmm. First one, fitness, coaching in whatever capacity. Worked in and out of gyms for uh, 11 years. Um, and now mainly, well, in fact, now all of it is online. <laughs> the second yeah, one, can... um, I run my own podcast. We had a conversation on there. Mm-hmm. Um, right, where bridging the gap between physical and mental health, that is the whole vision, and I just chat shit with people um, pretty much on a daily basis. It's phenomenal. The third one, I'm a, I'm a published poet, right? I write things, and that usually, whether it's just a spur of the moment thinking about things, whether I um, get an idea and a spark, or whether it's like, no, no, I'm deep in the dumps. i got to write things down.
1: Yeah.
2: Now, now I can do it without being deep in the dumps, but that's uh, seven years down the line nearly, nearly eight years down the line. So it's taken, it's taken a while. And then the last one, um, I sometimes, actually coming up pretty soon this year, I get requested to then go in and, and speak about bridging the gap between mental and physical health. Right. And a lot of the time it, it goes back to youths that grow up in low socioeconomic backgrounds. And yeah. cause I can relate on that level, right? And that's that's where I came up on, And all of that, to me, is therapy in some sort of way. Um, talking with the likes of yourself, with people who are obviously a hell of a lot more educated than me, and talking to people and seeing their perspective of things is a therapy for me. Training and, like, actually, like, working out is a therapy for me. And then also, like, you know, I've done the whole meditating, I've done the whole gratitude, I've done the whole journaling, I've done the whole mind dump. Like, I... Honestly, like every conversation I have, I feel like I am then new. I'm like born again. You know what I mean? And I live by the philosophy of um, every day we're a new person. Right? I wrote something down, and this is a little sneak, sneak peek. It's in the next book, the second one, which isn't actually out, but i give you a little sneak peek of like uh, every night I kill myself because every morning I wake up a new man. I then have 24 hours to figure out who he is. And that's literally now that's how I live my life of like, okay, Alex, take the fucking shackles off of whatever happened to you. Take the shackles off of whatever you had to do. Take the shackles off of whatever was in your head or whatever. That's no longer who you are because you've got 24 hours of this life and then you're going to wake up tomorrow and it's like, cool, like, are we going to grow from this or are we just going to, like, stay stagnant? And I don't know about you, but being in the same place as in, like, mentally, physically, like, you know, just in the same place and stagnation freaks me the fuck out. Like I have to be doing something. I have to be moving. I have to be growing. I have to be helping people. Like that's just the way I got to do things. And like therapy wise, like the traditional sense, no, nada, zero, but therapy wise in like molding it in the way to then figure it out as an individual for me, for myself, then yeah, I feel like, talking to my mate, mates is therapy, talking, talking to you is therapy, doing this is therapy, writing is therapy, walking is therapy, training is, is literally like everything of like healing those cracks. Yeah. And I'm sure we will go into, you know, the second and the third little instance that kind of came to my mind when you said, think about drama of like healing those like scars, so to speak. And then any anyone's, you know, a future that come up, like everything for me,
1: in this gift giving season, I want to introduce you to Mindlove. They're a hamper company, but with a difference. So most hampers are like about flowers or wine or chockies, robes and candles. And these are all really lovely, but sometimes you want something more personal for the person's needs. Mindlove is a hamper company about our mental health. So you can go to the website and you can either build a hamper from scratch and put anything you like in it from a huge range of products. Or if you prefer, you can select from an already curated hamper and their products are incredible. So I actually had one made for Frankie's wife when she had surgery. It was chock full of amazingness. I selected the ultimate pamper package because she really needed some relaxation and self care time after everything that had happened in the last few months. She loved it. She told me it was exactly what she needed. And MindLove isn't just for adults. I have heaps of products and packages for kids and teens as well. So if you want to give something to support someone you love, show them that you hear them and that you see them and help to normalise mental health, go to mindlove.com.au That's M-I-N-D-L-O-V-E.com.au. com Say hi to Jen for me. Tell her I sent you mindlove.com.au all about prioritising self-care and mental health. So I want to ask a hard question. Go for it. You can tell me to fuck off if you want.
2: but I'll, I'll, I'll that's to a lady.
1: Well, thank you for accusing me of being a lady. That's not true either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I'd swear far too much to be a lady. But I feel like... This is super, super important. Um, And we can really open a space here.
2: Yep, go for it.
1: Have you attempted suicide previously? Yep, multiple times. Tell us about that. Tell us what that's like because a lot of people don't fucking understand it they have no concept and when someone says they're suicidal and they do put their hand out it's the people who have no idea who don't know they don't know what to do because they've never been there and those resources are there in so many of them are so well-intentioned but they don't actually come from that you know how we talked about the balance between like science and experience has to mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. kind of come together. And because this, and this is my controversial opinion, because we are fucking terrified of saying or doing the wrong thing to somebody who says that they're suicidal. We say nothing and we do nothing. And we don't actually create a space where people can feel safe to kind of talk about it and go, this is exactly what I think I'm going to do. Like I'm going to, Buy these items to put it together this way and do this thing. Like we don't give, we don't allow them to do that. And if we don't put light, if we don't bring light to that, the nuances and and even the details of the topic, we're still keeping in the dark. If we don't let people go, I went to, I counted how many pills I had, and I researched how many times I'd have to take this particular pill to have this effect. Like we need to open it up, air it out. Otherwise, as you said, it will just sit in and be stagnant.
2: Um, I agree. I think uh, most people um, are scared of being misunderstood, Mm. but what they're actually scared of is being not heard. And for a long time, I was like, you don't fucking understand me and blah, blah, blah. And you know, lash out as all blokes do number one emotion. And the only thing that you can go is aggression, right? Rip its head off. Metaphorically speaking, of course. Um, But now I'm like, I've come to the terms of, Oh, not everyone's going to understand you. And that's, that's something called life, right? Experiences and, and differences is going to dictate that. So, I'm not looking for that anymore. I'm looking for people that will provide me with that space to hear me, right? Because I will do that for anyone. Like, I I, I had a conversation with my mum a few months ago. And I was like, mum, when we got deep in that conversation and it kind of flowed into, I was like, I got no natural talent. Like, nada, zero, nothing. Literally, like, Couldn't speak, nervous as shit, anxious, depressed, like couldn't do a push-up on my knees when I started, I'm fucking dyslexic as a motherfucker. Like, you name it, nothing. Extra English at school, whatever. I mean, mum turns around and goes, you you missed the point. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, you're an empath. You feel what other people feel. And when people are in your presence, they feel calm. I was like, holy shit. I didn't even think about that. You know let me let me think about it and I think she's right right like I know how to give that to other people so with me I gotta be really careful of where I give that to because usually then you can like shell up right especially for a bloke attacking it from a from a male perspective you know it's like okay I'm gonna give you that space and that respect. I'll like open up because I know you'll I'll create that environment for you to do the same. But then that environment changes and it's like <laughs> back in like fuck yeah. you. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna allow anybody else in now. That I walls up, that masks on, whatever analogy you want to use. Like in that space of, you know, wanting to snap your fingers and everything's, everything's done and dusted.
1: Yeah, when you're on that, on that edge.
2: You, it depends on the time. Uh, there's um, three, three main ones. One was in a car. Um, I was going one fifteen mile an hour, took my belt off, veered into the into the um the middle part of the motorway, and something something told me not. So I just kind of and then just carried on home. Didn't put my belt back on because I was like, if something takes me out, if if I'm meant to go right, something will take me out, and I've given it the opportunity to do that because one, I'm driving like a maniac and two i've got my belt off right so it will 100% and obviously i'm having this conversation with you today so it didn't do it second time um it was a really really deep fucking hole and cave didn't know the way out could not find the way out like like zero energy to do anything right and as we'll get into it For the second two, like, little examples or stories we're going to get into, like, I'm a survivor, right? Working class, I'll fucking survive. I'll find a way, right? But you get to that point where you don't even have any energy to survive anymore. And that's when shit gets real serious. Because you're like, I ain't going to do anything, right? Like, and you get in your head of, like, I'm a burden on other people and all that, which you actually genuinely 100% feel in your bones, like me being alive and breathing is an issue for you, right? we never even met in person. But I would then believe that to my fucking core. I'd be like, no, no, I'm like in the way and hindering people or whatever. And then you would just be like, everything would be so different if like I could just poof, you know, and just kind of disappear. But I heard something and wrote it down recently. It was like, never underestimate the hole your absence would leave. Right. And that just absolutely kicked me in the fucking stomach. I was like, okay, okay. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I, I believe it. I believe it now. Like, you know, in those, in those times, And I'm not naive enough to say that this will never happen again, right? But I'm also mental in the sense of I will tell myself and other people I'm going to go when I say I'm going to go, right? Like I – because I will fucking die when I say I die and I'm not fucking done yet, right? I know it sounds really harsh and a bit crazy to say, but I'm like, I feel like I got some things to do on this place. I got some thing, people to help. I was like, when my last task has been completed, I'll go like Obi-Wan, right? I've got to sleep, I won't wake up. That's going to be a hell of a long way away. I got some things I need to do, you know? So I'm like, cool. Like, whatever happens, I remind myself, again, having a conversation with myself of like, okay, you're now back at that bottom, that rock bottom. But you made a promise with yourself that you're done when you say you're done and you're done when everything, all your tasks are done. But they're not done. So you can't be done. So take as much time as you need, pal. But you got to get the fuck back up because you got to get back to work because no one else is going to do this for you, right?
1: So I heard that you haven't taken suicide off the table, you've put it on pause for other reasons. So it's, and it's not, I'm not saying that's a bad, I'm not actually okay. saying that's a bad thing. I'm just, um, I'm really curious about about that process, that, um, that defiance
2: <laughs>
1: is sort of, it's, that's, because that's what it sounds like. It sounds very much like defiance and that's what's keeping you going.
2: Too pissed at the world to quit. (laughs) (laughs) You know what (laughs) I mean? Like, like, you know, that's the way it is. And I, you know, I speak to people, I relate things back to the gym, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll speak to people all the time in the gym and I'm like, sometimes you have to go dark. I was like what do you mean I was like okay we'll use a back spot for an example you're taking a hard object and you're putting it on your back and you're a soft object and then the floor is a hard object so you've got two hard objects in between a soft on well, um, in between a soft object right with a soft object in between what do you think is mm-hmm. going to break the soft the soft object. object that makes makes perfect sense right mm-hmm. so whatever you need to do and wherever you need to go upstairs to make yourself a hard motherfucker, to get out of that set alive, like do that thing, flick the switch on, go dark, fine, then flick it back off. I was like, so relating it back to this example of like, if I need to be pissed off at the world to get me through another day, right? Then fine, whatever, it's going to get you through another fucking day.
1: Interesting Kobe strategy. It reminds me (laughs) a a little bit of like the... Um, I guess the the hard northerner approach to hey. uh, AA, which is like one day at a time, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's
1: that's their, their shtick is one day at a time. And yours is sort of the same, but you've, you've given it that, you know, hard man twist.
2: Well, <laughs> so, I mean, kind of. So I have now kind of, transformed into the way of thinking of a poetic warrior right so i think i'm quite spiritual as a person i don't think it's the be all and end all but just where i kind of would place most of my chips of like you need to be able to do both right so i'm kind of a perfect example of it and the way i do my job too of like i'm going to go in the gym and I'm going to slang and bang some barbells. I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to throw that fucking thing above my head. I'm going to do it for max weight. And we call it fun, right? That's a bit crazy. And then I'm going to sit down with a pen and paper, a lie on the bedroom floor, and write about my feelings in a couple of rhyming couplets. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're
2: two like polar opposite things. Yes. You're just thinking, what are you doing, dude? I'm like, I think that's the point. I think the point is to be able to do both. And again, going back to depression being a superpower because it means, okay, again, that spectrum, right? Like if we're going to have a real narrow spectrum, I'm going to like numb my feelings, of what I can actually experience through life. But if I can go all the way one way and go fucking the deep and darkest place and literally have one foot off a cliff and be like, I'm out, see you later and be able to pull myself back, cool. Wouldn't that dictate then the spectrum can go all the, all the way to the other side and you can feel complete divinity and euphoria. I'm like, it would have to. If you let it. If you let it. you got to work
1: on no, it. it. It's no different to when you're talking about your dad taking medication
0: mm-hmm. and turning
1: into a zombie, And that wasn't a path you wanted to choose. But then you went on to talk about how your path has all these multifacets of the things that you do that are therapeutic for you. Um, And I think that we need to, all of us, and I don't mean we as in you and I, I mean everybody, we need to move away from this dichotomous idea of of mental health being um, it's, it's you're either good or Mm -hmm. you're on medication Mm -hmm. and that's it like Mm -hmm. we need to start thinking about it on a spectrum and and multifaceted as well like even if you are if you are on medication that can't and should not be the answer it's not the only fucking ingredient in the Mm -hmm. recipe there has to be for, and and it, it, it depends on you, who you are and what works for you. Like for some people, it's it is going to the gym. It is writing. It is this type of self care. It is this type of exercise. It is these things. It's talk therapy. It's engaging in group therapy. It's whatever that actually looks like. And for I, I worry that we look for a silver bullet. Oh yeah, totally. And it's never a silver bullet. Like our mental health is like our physical health, and if you think about our physical health across a lifespan, there are times when we get sick, we get injured, we're we're depleted, we're tired, we're hungry, we're weak. That's all part of our physical health, and mental health is no different. And but we treat it like it's we treat it like mm-hmm. it's just like a broken wrist. You know, you put a cast on it, it'll be alright. But it has to. We have to start looking at it as it's it's a permanency, but. Where it is at, like our health isn't permanent.
2: Honestly, I fucking love you for saying that because (laughs) that's first of all where I am now, right? And second of all, my entire business model of the coaching side of like, okay, sound like, I mean, I I literally have this conversation on a fucking daily basis of like, cool, we're going to do this. But like the actual program that I will then write you is like, Fucking 10% of the work. Like 10%. You also get, I in fact, I use an example. Someone came to me and was like, okay, cool. Blah, blah, blah. You're gonna do five days a week. So Alex, can I do a sixth day? I was like, no. I was like, why? Like, because you want to hide in the gym. Five days is enough. You want you need to work on the stuff outside the gym. I was like, oh, that's where I struggle with the most. And I said, exactly. That's why you need to be there. That's why you came to me because subconsciously you knew that and you knew I was going to tell you the hard thing. Like, no, use, yeah. Use the gym as a church, right? Use the gym as a coping mechanism, but it can't be the only thing mm-hmm. I, I've been there. I've done that. It's put me in a bad hole. Like I fucking broke my back and I couldn't use my legs for three weeks. What do I do now? I'm the guy that works out all the time. I'm the guy that will train aggressively and work through everything mentally. What do I do now? I can't fucking use my legs. I need my mom to help me take a piss. What do i do oh i picked up a pen okay started that way it's like we we definitely need something for your physical health something for your mental health like daily
0: getting a tattoo
1: can be a really intense experience the smell is unique the space is often exactly what our parents greatest fears for our teenies were and sometimes the people can seem intimidating and this can make it really hard to go through getting that tattoo especially if you've never done it before. Trauma Tats is a boutique studio where the whole experience, from the time that you call or message, to supporting you to develop your artwork, to making you feel comfortable and safe in the space, to managing big emotions that tattoos can bring to your aftercare, the whole experience is about you and meeting your needs, where you're at making sure that the story that your tattoo is telling is nurtured and honored. With special care for those whose stories sit in the trauma space, you, your tattoo, and your story are safe with Trauma Tats. If we've ever met or you've seen me online, you probably noticed that I have some tattoos. If you ask me, I'll tell you about them. My tattoos tell a story, just like the ones that I share with you on the Trauma Tales. If you have a story to share or honour and want to do that in a space where you can feel safe and respected, contact Traumatats, a professional tattoo studio, to work through what you've been through. Find them on Instagram or Facebook at TraumaTats1T and tell them Shan sent you. And it has to be lots of different things. Like when I'm sitting with a client, I'm like, okay, how's your diet? How's your sleep? how's your social life, how's work life, how's school if that's prevalent, how's your relationships with family members and children, how's your libido, like all of these things are part of who we are as people and we can't can't just pull them all apart and put that, like we can't silo our mental health. We can't just go, oh, that just sits over there. So like I talk to people about, you know, you're in the room with me now for one hour. I get, I get one hour of you per month or fortnight, per week, whatever that happens to be. But I can't live your life for all the other hours. Mm. For the other 167 hours in your week, I can't live your life and I can't hold your mental health together for you when you're not in this room with me. So what are you bringing to this space that's going to help you? Because it has to be all of those things. It has to be, and we talk about, and this is why, self-care is so important to me because we think about self-care as, you know, bubble baths and, you know, glass of wine. And th- that's great. That's nice. But that's not what self-care is. Self-care is about all the things you need to do to function and thrive as a human. And that includes doing shit you don't want to do. So oh, yeah, whether we think so or not, like I hate going to the gym, I hate it. I don't hate it. I hate that I have to think. Like that's my brain that function in that way. Like I know I keep thinking to myself, push, pull. I did a push thing. I've got to do a pull thing. I did a legs thing. I've got to do another legs thing. Fuck. And that's too much thinking for me in the gym. And it just gets overwhelming. And I'm like, I'm done. Fuck this. I need to, I'm the person that needs to be told what to do. Like
0: yeah. go
1: pick up that heavy thing five times. Brilliant. I can do that. Go push that thing over there to the end of that wall. Good. Done. Absolutely. But it can't be the only thing as as part of what I'm doing. So for me, self-care, even though I don't like doing it, doesn't mean I don't need to, doesn't mean I shouldn't. You know, going to the dentist, who who loves that? Like who gets pumped about going to the dentist? Still, it's part of self-care because we need it to thrive as human beings.
0: Mm -hmm. You
1: know, all of these things. Self-care isn't just stuff that you like and is fun and makes you feel good in the moment. It's stuff that you need to do long-term to thrive, if that makes sense.
2: I could not agree more.
1: And we need to let go of this idea of, you know, hashtag self-care is just the fun shit because it's not. Because life isn't always fun because if it was, our concept of fun and happiness wouldn't be what it is. I also it's talk off. to people a lot about the concept of happiness mm. because I ask people like first time I meet them, I'm like, you know, what what do you want to get out of this? What, do you want, what would be, what would make this actually what I always say is what would make this space of value to you? Mm. And people like so many people will say, I just want to be happy. I'm like, well, what does that look like? And there is no permanent state of happiness. No one is permanently happy all day if they are we actually have a diagnosis for that we put them in a loony we don't call it loony but they would actually need psychiatric help (laughs) so it's letting go of that idea that you should be happy all the time because it's not realistic and you're actually setting up an expectation that is never going to be met and therefore you're actually making your mental health worse Mm. so it's almost like that um what, oh, what's it when you're like envious when you've got like FOMO or something like that. So you've got this fear of missing out and you see this stuff on social media, but the, the, the fact is that that person's life, what they're giving you at social media is not actually the whole picture of what it actually looks like. Um, it's the same sort of thing in, in that happiness. You're only seeing the highlights. You don't see the whole picture because we don't like to see the whole picture. We don't like to embrace that side of us as human beings. And therefore It's like we demonize that side of us. And that brings me back to having those discussions about suicide because Mm -hmm. it actually is a huge part of so many people's lives. And we've created this this dialogue that they're not allowed to talk about it. Yep. You know, I, I mentioned AA before and that one day at a time thing and, you know, there's, there's a place to go for if you have a gambling addiction, there's a place to go if you have this mental health disorder, it's a place to go if you have alcoholism. But there's no place to go, I'm fucking suicidal and I need to get that out of me sometimes. Yeah. So we don't. We we sit and we chew and it festers and it rots inside of us. And that's how it keeps perpetuating on itself.
2: Uh, I don't think the, the act of suicide is... Tragic. I don't think that's the tragedy. I think the process leading up to it is where the tragedy lies. I think all that time that they spent leading up into that event where they weren't helped, they weren't heard, they didn't provide themselves with what they needed, and they didn't get what they needed from anybody else. I think that is where the tragedy lies. I think the actual act is very peaceful. And that might it cuts close to the bone. It might be a really hard thing to digest, um, but the suffering is ended, you know. But the the place. fact for that person, yeah, for that person, that's a very good point. But the fact that they fucking got there, yeah, that is where I get pissed. That is where I start like, be like, that's a tragedy, team. Like, we need a fucking buck up. Why? Because we allowed them to get there and I'll give you another example right I working in a school here in Christchurch not going to name the names I was working in a school in Christchurch um as like um strength and conditioning coach right just as a little subcontractor helping out some kids and I'm super honest with any teacher I'll, I'll speak to right and we had a little bit of a meeting and obviously she asked what else I do came in with the poetry, it's about mental health. She goes down that line and was like, um, legally, we're not allowed to speak to kids um, about mental health. I was like, what about if they ask? What about if they come to us with anything? I was like, nope, we need to push them to the council. We're not allowed to have that conversation. We have to change the conversation. And I literally said to her, I was like, okay, I know this isn't your fault, right? And you're employed, and you're bound by these rules, right? You're bound by this, these rules. I'm not. So if someone comes to me, right, if I've by some miracle created some space where a fucking 16-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old can come to me and start talking to me about what how the slicing their wrists or how like things at home are a little bit topsy-turvy, then I am not, and I repeat, I am not gonna fucking push them away. I'm gonna give them every piece of fucking time I have until i fall asleep passed out because i'm so tired like i will fucking listen to whatever they gotta say i was like you're bound by those rules mate i ain't like and that's the way it's gonna go
1: i am boggled i am absolutely boggled by that
2: and that
1: that's what i mean that's fear about the conversation it's fear of the conversation and that's why everybody stays silent that's how that 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 tragedy, that lead up to actually committing suicide, that fucking tragedy that you spoke about, how it occurs is because we're not allowed to talk about it. We reinforce to people that they're not allowed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's why this is so important because mm-hmm. I've had people on the podcast before and people talk to me about suicide all the time. Um, and it's not, it's it's so bizarre. People ask me about the worst part of my job a lot, and they expect me to say that it's dealing with people who are suicidal. It's not at all. The worst part of my job is fucking admin because I'm rubbish at it. I actually love when someone talks to me about their suicidality Mm. because I know that I can bring them. So if we look at it like a scale of like one to ten, if they're like, I'm at an eight, I'm, I'm like at an eight, I'm like, okay, I can do stuff in that moment with that person to pull that back down. Like, I'm I'm fine with it. Like, I'm, I'm happy. If someone walks in and sits down in the clinic and goes, I am, if I didn't have this appointment today, I wouldn't be.
2: Here. And I'm also like, gonna go another way, right? I'm gonna add on to that of like, they've provided you and themselves the most amount of respect to be able to open their fucking mouth right yeah and verbalize those feelings yeah and be like, You know what? I gotta do this i'm I'm gonna give myself that respect to go one more time and la- grab hold of one more fucking lifeline, and I'm also gonna give this person respect of like i'm gonna trust them, and yeah. I barely even know their name
1: yeah, and that's. Yeah, you've you've hundred percent hit it on the head. The and I don't think about it in the moment. In the moment, I'm focused, like I'm so focused. In the moment, it's it's hard to explain. It's like you know when you're in a crisis because it is a crisis. crisis. You just no, hyper focus yeah. in on what you're doing. But afterwards, like when I'm having a debrief, when I'm doing supervision, when I am you know doing what I need to to manage that space, I sit in and I I. I and I can hear how this is probably going to be taken. I sit in the privilege of that. Mm-hmm. I feel so privileged and so honored that they felt safe. And I and to hand that to me and let me share that space with them is actually the most beautiful honor. Oh yeah. It's it's fucking terrifying because there's a lot of no pressure um, but <laughs> but and you don't feel that terror in the moment, you don't feel that fear in the moment. you just focus on saving life focus on getting them through. You activate the resources you need to, you put the things in place around them and you do your job and that's all you do and you you hyper focus on it and it's after. It's when it lands after. And you go, "Oh my God, that person trusted me, that person honored me to share that space and that's so beautiful and then you realize how fucking scary it was and you go, "Oh God, holy crap, that could have gone so bad, but it didn't <laughs> but yeah nope, it is um, it is something that we don't we don't give it enough credit.
2: yeah, and that's kudos to you. Right? You know what I mean? Like being able to, everything that's brought you up into that point with that individual, like that is then created that space where you made them feel safe. And I'm going to speak on behalf of all blokes. I don't like to tie people with the same brush, but I'm going to do it right now. Of like feeling safe for a lot of lads is like completely, completely new thing. Never felt it before. And why, why do you... Like, people ask, oh, why is the only thing that you can do is like be aggressive? Okay, yeah, societal pressures. Okay, yeah, like you don't talk about things. Okay, genetic predisposition, whatever. But like they don't fucking feel safe, man. You don't feel safe, what are you going to do? I'm going to punch first. Why? Because I'm going to get fucking hit. So for a dude to come in and you've created an environment where they actually sit down, unclench their fist, Right, There's no longer white knuckles going on and they fucking use their words. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit, man. That's, again, just goes back to that's So much respect for you for being able to organically create that environment and then also for them to themselves, right? So talking to a mirror of like, you have just proved to yourself that you are a, a bad motherfucker and nothing is going to be able to take you out. If you can do that, nothing will take you out. If you're legitimately, like, suit like knife to throw, foot off the ledge, noose on the neck, like, or even just planning it, you know what I mean? Like, getting fucking close and you've grabbed hold of a lifeline or you've pulled yourself back and you've, like, okay, I'm going to start journaling or gratitude or poems or rapping or fucking working out, whatever the, those therapies are, right, you, you're unkillable because mm-hmm. you've seen the face of the Reaper and you've told him to go fuck himself.
1: And you've got a teammate to help you tell him to get back himself too.
2: There you go, boom. Like, now it's, now it's a two-on-one. Now that's, that's indestructible.
1: I want to ask another question that I think could lead to a space that could be really helpful. In your moments, when you were, as you say, with your foot off the ledge, seat felt unbuckled, head in the news. what did you need to hear from somebody? What were the words that would have helped you?
2: Ooh, that's a beautiful question. That is a beautiful question. And it's individualised, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the words that would have comforted me potentially might have pushed someone else off right um depends on the situation uh you know i start i've started the book um with the first one and it says on the first page it says you're not alone because i i made that thing to show cuz there's 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 no there's not my face on it right just says Alex Thomas on it, which is fantastic, but there's going to be a million and one people called Alex Thomas, you know what I mean? It's like no one knows who it is. You don't see the character's face on the front cover. It's just blank. There's no explanation behind it. It's just what it is. And the first thing is you're you're not alone. Um, To prove to other people that we all think, right, we think we're in a room and the room's black. We're in a dark room and we're all alone. And you feel like no one can ever feel what you're feeling. No one can ever help you. No one is even there by your side. And you're just covered with all these evil engravings on the wall that you are some sort of demon and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. If someone came in and flicked the light on, you would actually see there's fucking thousands and millions of other people sat around you in this room thinking exactly the same thing. But because it's so fucking dark. If you turn your head to your left and right, you're not gonna see anybody because you can't see. It. It's too dark, it's pitch black.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? So I think from the right person, you're not alone would have helped me, which it did. It did for my brothers. Like my brother, one of my brothers um was on medication for a while and the other brother as a reset, as he used to call it, he used to do his wrists. Um, And hearing that from them, that's kept me alive, 100%, like 100%. Like, one of them's dragged me in a room in college before and been like, lock the door and be like, nah, brother, like, you ain't leaving this place until I fucking know you're, you're good, you know what I mean? And then we're, then we're going to go get a coffee or then we're going to go train and work out. So you're going to sort yourself out, then we're going to get it out through aggression. And then we'll go feed, right? So that will usually pass me out because I eat so much. I get in the food coma. <laughs> I think, uh, I think you're you're not alone. Like, honestly, again, something I've come to real, um come to realization with recently is I think unconditional love is the strongest thing on the planet. Right, hearing "I love you" from someone, like it doesn't. It's not like a romantic thing or whatever just you can fucking you can love someone's existence Mm -hmm. and that's it right that's unconditional love I think that would help I think that would have fucking helped me and I think that would have helped me from a lot more
1: people
0: yeah I think so thank you for joining me today on the trauma tales now is a good time to go and do some self-care, especially if this tale resonated for you. If you'd like to reach out to the Trauma Tales, to be a sponsor of the show, or to come onto the show, please email the Trauma Tales, all one word, all lowercase at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Shanna White Psychology.